Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Are You Freaking Kidding Me podcast with me, Joe Vigiano. This episode is going to be a little bit different than uh, previous ones, because previous ones were talking about the current state of uh, the New York sports teams. Well, this one, I'm going to be going back in time. I'm going to be looking back at the 10 good moments of Are You Freaking Kidding Me as, uh, as a fan and the 10 worst moments that made me go, are you freaking kidding me, in uh, a negative uh, way. So with that being said, uh, let's get started. Starting off with the 10 worst moments of uh, my fandom. Uh, Number 10, 2002 NFC wildcard game against the the New York Giants against the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Trey Junkett screws up the snap is what I'm going to call it. But uh, it goes much deeper than that. Let's set the scene up. Giants jumped out to a 38-14 lead uh, late in the third quarter. The 49ers uh, scored a touchdown and uh, connected on a two-point conversion to make it a 38-22 game going into the fourth quarter. Well, the fourth quarter was all San Francisco as uh, they... Scored 17 points to take a 39-38 lead. And the Giants had a chance late in the game to uh, to still somehow pull this game off and, and win on a, uh, a, a field goal in the closing seconds of the game. Well, the Giants get into field goal range. They, uh, they're set up and uh, Trey Junkett, the long snapper, just completely botches the snap to the point where the Giants uh, had to throw a desperate Hail Mary down the field to uh, to try and, and save their season instead of trying to kick the field goal. Um, what ended up happening was uh, the pass fell incomplete and the San Francisco 49ers uh, sealed the deal and moved on to the division round. At number nine, Plaxico Burris shoots himself and the Giants' season in the leg. The 2008 New York Giants were fresh off of a Super Bowl victory uh, from the previous season, and they just uh, set the pace and and were continuing on that magical run early in the 2008 NFL season. They ended up uh, finishing with a 12-4 record, uh, easily winning the NFC East. Well, in route to that, the down the stretch, the Giants uh, lost three of their last four games. Um, and the reason they lost three of their last four games, they did not have their uh, top receiver in Plaxico Burris, who uh, one night went out to a nightclub, uh, brought a uh, firearm with him, and accidentally shot himself in the leg. While at the club, well, as I mentioned, it it uh, completely sent the Giants into a tailspin, one that they were not able to recover because uh, they ended up going into the playoffs, playing in the division round against uh, the rival Philadelphia Eagles, and the Eagles eliminated the Giants from playoff contention. Just all that hope that Giants fans had to have it come to a crushing halt. Because one of their top players, you know, just brings an illegal firearm into a club in New York City. 
just, just unbelievable. Just unbelievable. At number eight, I'm just going to call it like this. Why punt it to Deshaun Jackson? The Giants have a history, apparently, of blowing huge leads, which uh, they did this one at home against the Philadelphia Eagles while still in the playoff hunt. Giants jumped out to a large lead against the Eagles, and the Eagles started to claw their way back. Well, in the closing seconds of the game, all the Giants had to do was just punt the ball away and not punt it to Deshaun Jackson. So instead, what does Matt Dodge do? He takes the he takes the snap and punts it right to Deshaun Jackson, who does what what Jackson normally does uh, as a punt returner, and he made something out of nothing, and that something was a walk off punt return for touchdown to send the Eagles to an a thirty eight thirty one victory. Just it's unbelievable. Like, what are you thinking there? The Giants could have had a chance in overtime if the punter just punted the ball away. Shank it. Do whatever. Like, just don't punt it to Deshaun Jackson. And that's exactly what they did, and they've paid the price for it. Number seven, what is known as the Charles Smith Memorial. The 1993 New York Knicks had probably their best chance of upending the Chicago Bulls. And, uh, you know, early on in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals at home, they're playing the Bulls, and it's a close game, just like all those games generally were. The Knicks had a chance to take a lead late in the game, in the closing seconds of the game, and Charles Smith has the opportunity to put not only one, not two, not three, but four times, he had a chance to put in a, a layup, a putback, and four times, he misses it. A couple times, got blocked, and he was able to get the rebounds. Like, I, I can't believe it. This guy couldn't hit one of them. Well, we all know the story. The Knicks lose the game. They lose the series, and the Chicago Bulls went on to uh, seal their th- first three-peat with Michael Jordan. Number six, Sandy Alomar sends the Yankees home in the 1997 division series. Well, 1997 was a, uh, a new year for the Yankees. They had just come off of a uh, World Series championship in 1996, but they uh, lost their closer in John Wetland and decided to try out this, uh, their setup man, as uh, the closer. So Mariano Rivera had a, had a pretty good year in his first year as a closer. And in the 97 Division Series, he had his first opportunity of uh, playoffs as a closer. And, well, the results were mixed. And unfortunately, his uh, last pitch thrown in the 1997 season was... Uh, one that was sent over the fence by Sandy Alomar, pushing the uh, Cleveland Indians into the American League Championship Series and sending the Yankees home. So, uh, you know, we all know what ended up happening with Mariano Rivera uh, later on in his career 
and what he would eventually become, but his first taste of closing, uh, he showed a little bit of, uh, of uh, that uh, choke uh, artist uh, action, which thankfully did not signify most of the rest of his career. Number five, the Toronto Maple Leafs cheap shot Kenny Johnson and Michael Pekka ending both their seasons with torn ACLs. Well, game five of the 2002 Eastern Conference quarterfinals had the uh, Islanders and the Maple Leafs playing in a very tight series. Well, game five, which is always a turning point in every series, the Islanders and the Maple Leafs were tied at two games apiece. Well, the Maple Leafs were known for being uh, cheap shot artists uh, with, in particular, Darcy Tucker and uh, Gary Roberts, uh, both doing their part to uh, hold on to that reputation of, uh, you know, just being dirty players. The uh, Islanders losing their two best players in the same game in Michael Pekka, their captain, and Kenny Johnson, their assistant captain, you know, that, that set up what uh, the rest of the series was going to be like. So those two players go down. Toronto wins game five. The Islanders were able to win game six somehow. And in game seven, all the magic was gone. And the Maple Leafs moved on to the next round of the playoffs. Just, you know, as an Islander fan, you didn't really expect the Islanders to really go far in that playoff run. But the way that it all went down, it just was crushing. Just unbelievably crushing. Number four, Dale Hunter cheap shots Pierre Turgeon. Well, this moment is a, is a weird moment because, uh, you know, the Islanders had uh, just scored a game-sealing uh, and series-clinching uh, goal by uh, Pierre Turgeon. And then immediately after that goal, while they're celebrating, Dale Hunter just cheap shots Turgeon out of nowhere, causing him to separate his shoulder. Now, Pierre Turgeon was the Islanders' top point scorer in the 1993 season, and it wasn't even close. He had an incredible season. That injury, thankfully for the Islanders, did not uh, set the tone for the for the next round of the playoffs as they were able to surprise the Pittsburgh Penguins. But as they got into the Eastern Conference Finals and they would have needed a healthy Pierre Turgeon to, uh, to advance into uh, what would have been a Stanley Cup appearance, uh, that did not happen for them. So that playoff run that was magical, that could have turned into a uh, Stanley Cup final appearance, uh, ended up falling short, especially because of uh, Pierre Turgeon not being uh, healthy in the rest of the playoff rounds. Number three, Reggie Miller shocks the Knicks. The 1995 Eastern Conference semifinals, game one, featured the New York Knicks and the Indiana Pacers. Well, that rivalry was uh, in its peak at this point uh, as Reggie Miller and Spike Lee continuously had antics uh, between each other, Spike Lee being uh, probably the Knicks' most famous fan, sitting courtside every single night. 
uh, Reggie Miller, Indiana's greatest basketball player of uh, all time, the Pacers' greatest basketball player of all time. Well, he had the knack for uh, dramatic moments, and the 95 uh, Eastern Conference semifinals was not any different. The Knicks were up 105-99 in the closing seconds of the Eastern, of uh, Game 1 when Reggie Miller nails a 3 to, to make it a 105-102 game. On the ensuing inbounds play, the Knicks couldn't get the ball to one of their, one of their teammates, and uh, Reggie Miller takes the ball, nails another 3 to tie the game. Well, the Knicks had a chance to uh, to seal it with some free throws, and and they missed both th- uh, both of those. The uh, Pacers get the rebound. Reggie Miller gets the ball, gets fouled, and he scores uh, uh, both of his free throws, and gives the Pacers a one hundred seven to one hundred five win. Just unbelievable, unbelievable how that happened. Miller scoring eight points in nine seconds to just completely shock the Knicks. Number two, Damon's slam reverses the curse. The 2004 ALCS featured two main rivals, the Yankees and the Red Sox. The Yankees would win the first three games of the uh, series, and the Red Sox would claw back in game four, and shocked the Yankees, and in Game 5, and shocked the Yankees. And then Game 6, the bloody sock game, yeah, whatever. And Game 7, well, I knew the Yankees were doomed from the start when they started Kevin Brown. Um, the Yankees were down 2 nothing after the first inning, and Joe Torre pulls Kevin Brown with, uh, you know, with men on base. And he decides to bring in Javier Vasquez. And as far as I'm concerned, if Javier Vasquez ever makes a return to the stadium, it's too soon. I have not liked Javi Vasquez during his first stint with the Yankees, which was that 2004 season. And then when they decided to bring him back a second time, I didn't like him. Well, here goes one of the main reasons I didn't like Javi Vasquez in the Yankees in his first go-around. So the bases are loaded in the top of the second inning. Johnny Damon is up at the plate, and Javi Vasquez throws a pitch that Damon turns on, pulls it into the right field seats, and essentially seals the deal for the Red Sox uh, as they jump out to a 6-0 lead. As it is well known, the Yankees did not come back in this game, and they lost uh, 10-3 to... uh, essentially end the curse of the Bambino. You know, there's not much more I can really say about this without uh, just completely going off the rails. And at number one of my worst moments as a fan, the 2001 World Series Game 7 broken bat blooper ends the dynasty. So to set, to set the scene up on how this is just crushing... The Yankees, coming off of what were three incredible wins at Yankee Stadium in games three, four, and five, get blown out in game six and still have a chance to seal the deal in game seven. Well, 
In the top of the ninth inning, Alfonso Soriano hits a solo home run to put the Yankees up 2-1. to one. Well, as a Yankee fan, they're up 2-1. to one. You got Mariano Rivera coming to the mound. You feel really good about your chances, especially knowing that he was the guy that saved the last three World Series clinchers. We were hoping for number four here. Well, that was just not meant to happen as the uh, Diamondbacks rallied. They tied the game on a Tony Womack double. And uh, a broken bat blooper by Luis Gonzalez with the Yankees having the infield in. You know, sails over the head of Derek Jeter and uh, clinches the game for the Diamondbacks. A 3-2 win in, uh, in, in just stunning fashion. As a Yankee fan, that was probably the most upset I had gotten to that point. I would say I got more upset uh, in the 04 uh, ALCS, but in terms of individual moments, when you have a chance to completely seal the deal as a World Series champion, again, you know, just just a crushing blow. Just a crushing blow, and, and it uh, something that has always stuck with me. Now that you got uh, the 10 moments that made me cringe as a sports fan, let's talk about the 10 moments that uh, made me celebrate in unbelievable fashion. Starting off at number 10, the Yankees stunning the Snakes in games four and five of the World Series. So the 2001 World Series ultimately went the uh, way of the Diamondbacks, but uh, the Yankees had some incredible moments in that World Series. Starting with Game 4, the Yankees inch and clawed their way back, uh, tying the game off of uh, Byung-Yung Kim, setting the stage up for what is uh, known as the Mr. November home run, where Derek Jeter steps, uh, steps up to the plate at midnight and sends the uh, crowd into a frenzy with a uh, solo home run off of Young Young Kim into the right field seats, hitting the opposite way like he normally did. And just unbelievable moment. Well, if that wasn't enough, game five comes around and the Yankees shock the Diamondbacks again as Scott Brocious hit a game-tying home run off of Young Young Kim, setting the stage up for another game winner late in, that, <laughs> in extra innings. You know, just an unbelievable span of games for the Yankees there. And that is why it is at number 10 on my list. At number 9 on my list, David Volick shocks the Pittsburgh Penguins in the 1993 playoffs, ending the chance of a three-peat. To set the scene on this one, the, the New York Islanders and the Pittsburgh Penguins would face off in what should have been a one-sided series. I mean, let's let's look at the rosters here. Uh, for the for the Penguins, at center Hall of Famer Mario Lemieux, Ron Francis, at center, Larry Murphy, great defenseman. At at one of the wings, Yaramir Yager. You know all the all these guys that you've heard of. 
that were just incredible hockey players. Rick Tockett, you know, he's still involved in the game. I mean, Kevin Stevens, these were all like higher end players that uh, were all on the Pittsburgh Penguins. And what did the Islanders have in response? They had an injured Pierre Turgeon who only played in game seven. Ray Ferraro, who was a very solid hockey player, but not anywhere near the level of Yager or Francis or Lemieux. On you know, on the back half of their uh, team, the the most famous pl- uh, defenseman that the Islanders had on that roster was Darius Kasparaitis, and it wasn't necessarily because of the way he played uh, he played defense, but because of the way he hit. It was one sided. There's no way the Penguins uh, should have lost the series in the eyes of many. But the Islanders came in and uh, on the road in Game Seven in overtime, and. Ray Ferraro, uh, Ray Ferraro starts out on a breakaway or on a a two on one, I should say, not a breakaway, but on a two on one. To his right was David Volick, and he passes it to Volick, who slaps a one timer past the the soon to be Hall of Famer Tom Barrasso, and uh, sends the Islanders to the Eastern Conference Finals. Just an unbelievable moment as an Islander fan, and the last great moment that the Islanders really had. Uh, until 2016 because they wouldn't win a playoff series between then and 2016. At number eight, Allen Houston shocks the top-seeded Miami Heat. Well, in 1999, the New York Knicks uh, struggled their way through a shortened uh, NBA season as Patrick Ewing was hurt for most of the year. Well, he would come back and uh, the Knicks would make a run late in the season and sneak their way in the playoffs as the number eight seed. Well, they were facing the top-rated uh, Miami Heat, and on paper, the Knicks and the Heat were pretty evenly matched when they were uh, both healthy. You know, uh, Tim Hardaway at at uh, point guard for Miami was one of their top players, but the real focal point of the uh, of the rivalry centered around the the center position. Two Georgetown graduates in Patrick Ewing, the Knicks center, and Alonzo Mourning, the Heat center. Uh, you know, that uh, it was a little bit of a friendly rivalry in a sense between the two, but the teams absolutely hated each other's guts. The Knicks would uh, go on and play the Heat in three consecutive playoff series in 1997, 1998, 1999. All of them going the distance. The Heat would win the first one in 97. The Knicks would win in 98. And then in 1999, we're in game five of the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. The Knicks trailing 77-76. The Knicks have the ball with uh, just a handful of seconds left on the clock. The Knicks get the ball to Allen Houston, who was one of their top uh, point scorers that season, and he was generally pretty good in clutch. Well, he'd get the ball, he would drive it to the lane, and and he would hit a floater that would bounce off the rim, bounce off the backboard, and go in and send the Knicks to the next round of the playoffs, 
just completely silencing the Miami crowd. Just unbelievable. You could hear a pin drop in Miami after that uh, after that incredible play by Allen Houston. At number seven, the Mario Manningham sideline catch. So Super Bowl forty six, Giants get the ball trailing seventeen to fifteen. They're deep in their own territory, and the first play of the drive, Manning takes the snap, drops back to pass, and fires just a beautiful pass towards the sideline where Mario Manningham was. Manningham makes the catch, somehow gets both feet inbounds, and uh, just sets the tone for what would be the game-winning drive of Super Bowl forty-six. Just unbelievable play. I will I will say this. That was probably the best throw in Manning's career, and that was an incredible catch by Mario Manningham, who was uh, known to be clutch as uh, he uh, caught a game-tying touchdown in the uh, NFC Championship game just two weeks prior. And then uh, this, this play on the sideline here, which would set up the Giants' game-winning score. At number six, the Jeffrey Mayer game. The 1996 New York Yankees were still looking to uh, win their first World Series title since uh, 1978 and their first World Series appearance since 1981. Well, the Baltimore Orioles stood in their way, in, uh, and in game one of the American League Championship Series, a little bit of late-inning dramatics by uh, none other than Derek Jeter would uh, help set the tone for this series. So in the bottom of the ninth, Derek Jeter comes up to bat. Uh, the Yankees down one. Jeter hits the ball the opposite field, like he normally does. And, uh, well, it looked like it was going to land just short in the glove of Tony Tarasco and help the Orioles seal game one. Well, in steps a 12-year-old kid by the name of Jeffrey Mayer, who reaches over the fence, catches the ball, brings it into the stands, uh, and the umpire completely missed the call. Richie Garcia, the umpire in the outfield, completely missed that call and uh, called it a home run. And the Yankees would uh, go on to tie the game in, in the ninth on that home run by Jeter. And then in the bottom of the 10th inning, would go on to win the game on a Bernie Williams solo shot, setting the tone for uh, what the future of the series would be. At number five, Boone beats Boston. This is probably the only time you'll hear me say something positive about Aaron Boone, by the way. Uh, So in game seven of the 2003 American League Championship Series, a series that had gone back and forth between the Yankees and Red Sox, to include uh, the benches clearing in game three, you know, um, just just utter hatred for each other was shown throughout this entire series. Well, game seven comes around. Roger Clemens, who uh, is an important symbol in the Yankee-Red Sox rivalry, as he pitched for both teams, uh, started game uh, seven for the Yankees, in which Boston jumped out to a 4 nothing lead, sending uh, Roger Clemens uh, to the dugout, down four runs, and setting the Yankees up for... Uh, what would hopefully have what would eventually become uh, a great comeback. So Yankees are down four nothing. 
and uh, Giambi, uh, Jason Giambi hits a solo shot to uh, make it four to two, and then later on, or make it four to one, and then he hit another solo shot a little bit later in the game to make it four to two. In the top of the eighth inning, in the top of the eighth inning, David Ortiz would uh, hit a home run off of David Wells to make it five to two. And then the Yankees would rally in the bottom half of the inning, tying the game on a uh, bloop, uh, a bloop double from Jorge Posada. And this sets up uh, what would become extra innings. And Mariano Rivera's uh, the, uh, his dramatics as he would pitch three innings of shutout ball, and this sets the stage for Aaron Boone in the bottom of the 11th inning against Tim Wakefield. Wakefield throws a knuckleball and Boone turns on it and sends it into the left field seats to uh, send the Red Sox home and send the Yankees to the World Series. You know, it was an incredible moment, a moment that Boone needed to have as he had struggled uh, his entire time in a Yankee uniform uh, swinging a bat. So having that isolated moment that fans could remember him by instead of uh, his struggles really helped uh, helped him become a fan favorite. At number four on my list, the four-point play by Larry Johnson. Well, let's set the scene up for that one. The 1999 Knicks were in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Indiana Pacers. Game three featured uh, just an incredible, incredible game between the uh, Knicks and Pacers in a tie series, one game apiece. The Knicks, late in the game, trailed 91-88, to and that's when Larry Johnson had his heroics and uh, take over. So the Knicks inbound the ball with 11 seconds left. Johnson throws up a prayer of a three-pointer as he gets fouled. It goes in, so the Knicks tie the game at 91, and Larry Johnson had to sink a, uh, a free throw in order to give the Knicks a 92-91 lead. Well, Larry Johnson would sink that free throw and send the Knicks crowd into a frenzy. It was an unbelievable atmosphere watching it on TV, just hearing the crowd go nuts when Larry Johnson nailed the three and then nailing the uh, free throw to give the Knicks a lead. The Pacers were not able to recover from that series. They they were able to win game four, but they did not win uh, games five or six. And the Knicks would go on to lose in the uh, in the finals against the San Antonio Spurs. Number three, Beauvillier scores the final goal in the Nassau Coliseum. Well, in 2021, game six of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Islanders the series was uh, was back and forth, and uh, the Islanders were in a must-win situation, down three games to two. Well, they fell behind 2 nothing, and then they would, would scratch and claw their way back to tie the game and send it into overtime. In overtime, the Islanders would capitalize on a Tampa Bay Lightning mistake in their own zone as Beauvillier would steal a pass and snipe one past what was uh, a brick wall of a goalie in uh, Vasilevsky. And Beauvillier would snipe one past Vasilevsky to tie the series 
and send, uh, send it down to Tampa Bay for Game 7. Unfortunately for the Islanders, they could not uh, duplicate that uh, late-game late, late game magic in Game 7 and would fall short once again in the uh, conference finals. At number two, who else but number two? Derek Jeter. Yeah, that's right. We're going to talk about the flip play here because this was a dramatic moment in the 2001 playoffs for the New York Yankees. So the Yankees were down two games to none against Oakland and in Oakland for game three. The Yankees were clinging to a one nothing lead on a gem uh, that was being pitched by Mike Messina. Well, Messina found himself in some trouble as uh, Jeremy Giambi was on first base and Terrence Long was at the plate. Well, Terrence Long rips a double down the line, and Shane Spencer picks up the ball in the corner. He fires the ball in back into play, overthrowing the cutoff man at second base in Soriano and the backup cutoff man at first base in uh, Tino Martinez. Jeter comes across from the shortstop position, down the first baseline, gets the ball, and flips it to Posada to tag out a Jeremy Giambi at home plate just in the nick of time, saving the Yankee lead in a game that they would win one nothing. The Yankees would go on to win the next two games of that series and then go on and beat the... Uh, Mariners in the American League Championship Series before taking the Diamondbacks to uh, Game 7, in which they would fall just short. And finally, at number one, what else is really going to top this list other than the helmet catch? Come on now. Another New York-Boston type of rivalry situation. New England, the Patriots, trying to be the first undefeated team since the 72 Dolphins. The Giants trying to shock the world as they had many times before in this playoff run. The Giants shouldn't have even been in the Super Bowl, uh, many were, were uh, stating. Many of the experts was, were stating. You know, they had a good, they had a, put up a good fight in Week 17 against Patriots. Fell just short. You know, and many of the experts said uh, that uh, magic's going to run out as they uh, face the Bucks, and then they would beat the Bucks. Well, they're going to Dallas. Dallas is way too powerful. There's no chance they could beat the Cowboys in Dallas. Well, they shocked the experts and the Cowboys there. Well, Brett Favre is just a you know on a magical run in his final year as a Packer. There's no way the Giants are going to beat the Packers in in Lambeau in the frozen uh, tundra and they shocked the world there too and the experts so did you really think that the giants really cared what people were going to say they were using what people were saying as fuel to that fire to uh, go on and shock the world well you know they they faced the new england patriots in week 17 and play to a three-point game there, a 38-35 uh, win for the Patriots. And if you watch the playoffs that year, the Giants were getting better and better as the playoffs went on, and the Patriots were barely scraping by. They were lucky to win. They were lucky to be in the Super Bowl. And, well, this game went exactly how the Giants would have wanted it. It was low-scoring. 
The Giants were controlling the clock. They, they had time of possession on their side. You know, everything that you wanted to, to go into this game to say the Giants had a good shot of winning were going their way. The only thing that wasn't going in the, their way at this point was uh, the scoreboard, which was saying 14-10 New England, and the Giants had the ball. Well, on a crucial third down play, Eli Manning takes the snap, drops back to pass, is under an immense amount of pressure, is in the arms of Adelius Thomas. He breaks free and fires a duck, uh, a duck down the middle that uh, could have been picked off by a Pro Bowl safety in Rodney Harrison, but instead was caught by Giants no-name by the name of David Tyree. And this catch would go on to live in uh, in history as Tyree would get a hand on it and lean that ball up against his helmet all while Rodney Harrison was trying to pull it away from him and either intercept it or, or cause an incompletion. He was, tr- he was trying everything he could to knock the ball out of Tyree's hand but was not able to. And this play would set up the Giants as uh, a few plays later, Eli Manning would drop back to pass and float a, uh, a beautiful pass in the end zone to uh, Plaxico Burris to give the Giants a 17-14 lead and give them uh, a, uh, their third Super Bowl championship in uh, franchise history. Well, that's my list of good and bad as a sports fan. That happened directly to my teams, I must specify. I hope uh, you enjoyed it. Enjoy the rest of your day.